I'm North. And I'm Mayor. We're friends from college. I like to say I was raised a Democrat and became a Republican in college. And I consider myself a moderate liberal. We found that we were able to engage in a civil yet evocative manner, and we're hoping to bring that to the wider public. So please follow the podcast, listen to every episode. Share it with your friends and maybe even join us as a guest. I'd love to hear maybe your takeaways or, or, or what do you see the takeaways as of the 2020 election for the Republican Party? Yeah. So I think that the problem that the Democrats have is ideological, it seems to me, that they need to decide if they're going to go on this anti-racist you know, train uh, and identity politics or if they're going to pull that back, um, you know, argue more, you know, like working class, class politics, that kind of stuff. But I think the problem with the Republicans is like a cult of personality issue where there are some Republicans that are just so on the Trump train that to me, it's, it's crazy to see reputable people seeming to, you know, believe anything that, that helps Trump and, and want states to appoint their own electors, for example, that I think is so, so strange and really needs to be dealt with. I think a lot of Republicans see the results of the election as only about Trump. They're so caring about this one person that even though Republicans did a very did very well in the election, uh, they are so so concerned with one person that they're willing to throw everything away, including Sidney Powell, who I've you know I've worked with. I like Sidney as a person. I don't know what she, what she was thinking telling a crowd of Republicans in Georgia not to vote in the Georgia runoffs. That is, it seems to me that people have just got way too attached to Donald Trump as a person that they are willing to throw, to throw everything away because they've been convinced that the whole system is rigged. And um, um, what do you, if you're a GOP strategist right now, what, what are you taking away from this? What do you do differently in the future? Or if you're a GOP politician, what are your, what are you thinking right now? Well, I would say first, I think step number one is cut back all of the it was rigged language. Let's let's stop that immediately, because we're really playing with fire at that point. If if we convince all Republican voters that the entire system's corrupt, voting isn't even worth it. Then I, I don't know how we're gonna win in the future because no one's going to vote. And I don't know how that's helpful for the country. If we have half the country who believes that it's all corrupt beyond saving, then I think that's just as damaging and just as dangerous as half the country believing that the country uh, is systemically racist you know, to its core. I think that's the same thing. I think if we solve that problem, which I'm not convinced we will, then I think, I think we realize that I think our messaging is generally working without Trump's personality quirks. I think that people generally like 
stricter immigration laws. They're not for open borders. People like generally, you know, freedom, free speech, that kind of stuff. I think that a lot of our policy issues are good. I think we would have done a lot better not having to deal with just the personality foibles of Trump, like the tweets. What do you make of the fact that do you, well, I'll pose the question differently. Do you think that the outcome of the 2020 election would have been different if the GOP had been able to work with Democrats to get a COVID relief package passed before the election? Maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure, to be honest, because there was in, in March, I remember, Nancy Pelosi ha- held up a COVID relief package um, because she wanted, among other things, uh, diversity quotas and corporate boards who for corporations that that received, um, I, I think the PPP, but I could be wrong about which actual benefit it was. But even though she held that up, the takeaway from the media was that it was actually Mitch McConnell that held it up. So I don't know that even if Trump made the deal, the media coverage wouldn't have been anti-Trump anyway. You know, I think people would have been able to, well, m- maybe that's an open question. Th- there is always the possibility and likelihood that People know whether or not they're getting their social or their um, unemployment checks, and they know whether or not things are going to expire. And there can be a lot of frustration around that. I, I, I guess for me, people, I see people as having a very favorable view of the Trump economy, and I think that was still yeah. giving him a huge tailwind. And I'm and given that the election split was less than five percent, I think I think it was four and a half percent. I wonder yeah. if having passed another COVID relief bill could have been sufficient to I think help him win. It would have helped, I would think. But I think, I think what probably would have mattered more is if Trump didn't get on the phone with whatever that reporter's name was for like 18 hours in February. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you heard about this. I'm sure yeah, you did. Yeah, where, where um, he said he knew how bad it was going to be. Right, yeah. right. I, I think... That That is such a, it at least appears to be, it, it appears to show that Trump willingly lied. And I think he says even in the audio that, you know, he he wants to downplay the virus. He knows it's airborne. It's not just killing old people. It's killing kids too. I think that, that the fact that he did that gave, gave the Democrats the ability to say that these lives, you know, are, are, are Trump's responsibility. And because he knew how bad it was, because he said he knew how bad it was. I mean, that's interesting. Has that stuck around in your media bubbles or bubble? Because for me, that was like a, that was a blip. Has that been messaging that you've seen over time? Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think without COVID, Trump would have won re-election. That's why I think it was a, it was a democratic conspiracy to get Trump out of office. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. That also included the Republican governor of Georgia and Venezuelan dictators. Well, of course. They're still, we all know they have their hands in all of the pots. Uh, it's just uh, it's just crazy. I, I just It drives me crazy because I, I feel like it, it was Trump's election to lose. He did lose it. And it's just excruciatingly frustrating, especially given that he and his, I, I'd say part of his legal team, because I am working for a, a firm that is representing the Trump campaign, so I can't speak too much about it. But some attorneys that we are not associated with are making claims, you know, like 
you know, Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani, for example, are just making these outsized claims and Trump is retweeting it, you know, like Dominion voting machines, you know, election was stolen, it's a fraud. I think the, I think what Trump, it seems to me, drove the media insane throughout the course of his presidency, showed how biased they were. And then it seems at the end, he's going to undermine all the work that he did because he makes them look like they were correct in saying that Trump isn't going to accept the results of the election. He's going to refuse to leave. To be fair, he did allow the GSA to start the transition. But I think these, I'm just worried about his statements giving the media a win at the end of a presidency that they pretty much lost. Picking a fight with Fox News just never, never looks good when they've been your such an avid supporter of Trump throughout the majority of his presidency. Yeah, yeah. I, I have friends who won't watch Fox News anymore because they think it's a sellout. And it's just like, you liked Fox News up until November 4th, and then all oh they weren't a sellout. And then on November fourth, well, it's they the just... only place for real news unless they disagree with what I think. And then they're fake news. Exactly, and that's the thing. It's like we, I think the Democrats need to do, need to have a hard conversation with themselves, to do with whether they should continue with the use of racial politics. I think that the Republicans need to have a hard conversation with themselves about how off-putting Trump's personality is. He's not likable. And like, I know he like dunks on the media and it's what a lot of us think uh, is satisfying and it is satisfying. I have always felt he, he is very funny if he has no power. When he has no power, I can understand how that could be funny. But when he does have power, it, I don't find it funny. Right, and like the, the, the joke about like using like disinfectant on like the inside of you at that press conference, like obviously a joke. But it's like, just don't give them the ability to say that, you know, he told people to drink bleach, which of course he didn't say that. But I, like, he would have, you would have no opportunity to even make that argument. As Republicans, we need to drop the Trumpy trolling. Yeah, I mean, like, we, we have a good message that I think most Americans like, that we don't, that the American people don't, don't need to rely on government, free speech, due process, that kind of stuff. Just basic, basic stuff. I don't think there's a lot of divisiveness in the Republican platform anymore. Right? Not, not a lot of Republicans are seriously against things like gay marriage, for example. Um, I think there's a lot of things that people could rally around if not for the personal quirks of Trump. Any other, any other hot takes? Well, I guess the one other thing, I saw some people calling for you know, because the election's a fraud, that kind of stuff, calling for the president to impose martial law. And there, there were some people, I, I'm big names that I'm sure people can Google, but it's just, it's kind of like the same thing, I, I guess. Just make yourself look crazy at the end. Like, just let it, we did well. Like now I feel like we're going to cost ourselves the Senate we're going to give the Biden administration a Democratic House and a tied Senate with Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker because we just couldn't accept that our guy lost by like this much. I, I find that so ironic given how much 
hemming and hawing there there has been about the mask mandate and the stay at home. Oh, yeah, stuff absolutely. Like that. Yeah. It's like, well, that's fine. But martial <laughs> law is necessary now. Oh, yeah. Just it's just crazy. People need to calm down pretty much pretty much all over. But I mean, right for right now, it's particularly on the right side of the aisle. People need to calm down. Everything's fine. We win some, we lose some. You say that now. Just wait till you hear. I, I've got some fun tidbits for you coming up. So I was trying to get a, a, a sense for how Democrats are reacting to all this. So uh, I'll, I'll post a lot of the links in the show notes. But the most sober piece came from Brookings Institute. I thought it was really good. Just really straightforward. It's called Hold Your Fire, Fire Dueling Democrats. So they basically said in 2018, we had this super asymmetric voter mobilization where Democrats were able to mobilize a super huge number of, it's a very technical term, a super yeah, huge super number huge. of voters, in part as sort of a reaction to Trump. And Trump wasn't on the ballot, so it wasn't the same for the Republicans. So, so that's why we saw these huge gains in the House, whereas in 2020, it was a fairly symmetric mobilization of voters. And if you look at Biden's gains with whites, that explains essentially his victory and finally, that it's really difficult to win Senate races in Republican states during presidential election years. And that would sort of explain why we didn't see the, the Democrats do, do very well in the Senate races. I, I, a couple of people have floated, and, and I know, I think I even floated the, the idea that there was significant split ballot voting where people would vote against Trump, but for Republicans. Uh, there was an interesting piece in 538 where they said that that actually isn't really true and that... In all but three states, the Democratic Senate candidates' vote share was within five percentage points of, of Biden's, and similar for, for the Republican Senate candidates um, and Trump. And that was the same for the House and also broadly for the uh, state legislative bodies. So I thought that was really interesting because I had heard that narrative. Then there was the weeds had, had a really good synopsis and they just they just talked about how we should be really careful around our narratives because the voters are so complex and and sometimes perplexing uh, in that you could want to decriminalize marijuana while also wanting police funding and and that we really can't underemphasize the role of class religion view of government perception of human rights like all these all these things and that these really basic narratives are obstructing our ability to to really properly view this. What else? I'm just looking over my notes. Then so then NPR was talking about how the, the defund the police messaging was really toxic because it might be popular in more liberal areas, but but then more moderate Democrats were unable to escape that messaging in places where it was far less mess- far less popular. And just the reality that politics has become so national that, it, it, that you can't have sort of two Democrats who are running different messaging, really anything, any messaging that is, is widely circulated, almost all Democrats are, are going to have to, to, to deal with. Still, there's no good answers as to why polling is terrible. There have been some people trying to explain, well, this is why polling sucks and this is this and that. But the, I think that people who are being honest with themselves just can't really figure out why 
polling seems to be so in 2016 and in 2020 so off and and I, and I think that's that's a really fair fair analysis i mean i will say that i i, I too don't don't know i haven't researched the issue um but i th- what i believe is the case from what i have seen is that polling has consistently underpredicted republican turnout and i think that and this is just me spitballing here but i i would imagine that that the social penalties that the average day or average everyday average day uh conservative faces i think you know especially in like liberal states for example i mean after i think of post george floyd on instagram i don't know if you remember this or if you even have an instagram i don't even know don't have an instagram but maybe i've heard of it on instagram after george floyd in in june there was this thing that went around where everyone was supposed to post this like black square. Yep. Right. I, I heard about that. Okay. You know, and this is just anecdotal or whatever, but Courtney didn't post it. And I think might, might've posted some, you know, benign statement, you know, that everyone should be treated equally. And she, she ended up losing friends over that. Her friends basically said that if you don't support black lives matter, then you're racist. And, you know, just like absolutely ghosted her. So I think that, and that's not uncommon, you know, from what I've heard other people say too. So I imagine if that, if those, you know, anecdotes are at all representative, I think that would, would, I think that might explain why someone's not going to be willing to go on the phone and say, yeah, I don't agree with the overarching uh, orthodoxy, you could say. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely possible. I, I know I, I wrote that piece on, just how much internal pressure there is within sort of the core liberal group to to hold a given set of of policy positions. So yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I, I I really would like to know more about it because I think polling is is so important to the ways in which we make policy that if we can't find a way to have polling that accurately reflects how the population feels on a variety of issues and we're not going to be able to accurately and sufficiently represent the population. Yeah. I, I'm sure there, there must be some way to do like double blind polling or something sure. where there must be a way. The, the issue is just, can we do it? Can we figure it out and, and, and make it happen? But I feel like in general, zoom out for a second. I feel like there's such a vacuum for, uh, for either party to make some serious headway. Like I feel like most voters don't like don't like the Democrats very much and they don't like the Republicans very much. I think that I think that the Democrats have an opportunity before them to build as big of a tent as they possibly can if they stop stop using racial politics. And I think that I think the Republicans can do the same thing if they control the statements of whoever their nominee is or, you know, particularly provocative politicians or whatnot and stay away from QAnon. And if they can defeat the image of like the party of old white men. Yeah, although I, I just I don't see that as I, I think it is salient. I, I think people wanna they want to see representation that looks like them. And I think the Democrats have sort of gone to the extreme to where it really turns people off. But yeah, I, yeah perhaps. I, I think People like to see representation by people who look like them. 
So I, I can see that as being very popular and, and, and an area where through like very little effort, the GOP could, could make up significant ground. Yeah, you might be right about that. T- to me, I always saw the um, old white men party line as something that only Democrats, yeah, would actually care about, you know, but I, I would imagine that most people care more about what the politicians can actually do for them. But think about how many people came out to vote for Obama, right? Yes, I will agree that that I think is the biggest counterexample to my point. I think that 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 for sure. But I, I wonder if that was a if that was a uh, an outlier because he was the first black president. He was very unifying in two thousand eight. But I think people talk about it like how how meaningful it was for them to see somebody who looked like them in office. Yeah. But I wonder if that's worn off now. I've heard about it. I've heard that about many other politicians. I, okay. I, I'm very confident that the research would support me in that. In, in a lot of ways, I think sometimes we overthink what people are looking for out of a politician. I think a lot of what people like about a given politician boils down to how is the economy while they were in charge and what do people see superficially? Like, do they seem trustworthy? And do you see yourself in them? And so given those things, I, I, I would not be surprised if some sort of demographic representation was really important to people. And I, it doesn't have to go as far as like meeting certain qu- demographic quotas, but I do think making a concerted effort to have a more diverse body representation at worst, doesn't really cost you very much, and at best, could be a significant advantage. Yeah, I am not opposed whatsoever to having a more diverse Republican Party. I, I don't particularly care one way or the other, but I think that I mean, I do. I do think politically, it would help. It would help, you know, to take an arrow out of the quiver of the left. You know, it would help to deprive them of that uh, of that line of attack, because you know the fact is, uh, conservatism has no race, it has no gender. It is universal, anyone can be a conservative, so. (laughs) Even you, listener. Even you, listener, join the dark side. (laughs) Sign up at your local Republican party. All right, now I, I think it is time for you to hear my rant. Let's do it. This is my rant. If you are, if you are, if you are a Democrat, not just any Democrat, if you are, if you are a, Left, lefty liberal, this rant is for you. I recently learned about a podcast from the New York Times called The Argument. And I heard about it because uh, I, one of my favorite podcasts, The Weeds, one of their hosts was asked to come join the, that podcast. And I didn't actually realize before listening to the first podcast, but it actually it has a very similar style to our podcast in that they have a conservative and a liberal and they'll talk about a variety of issues. So the, I listen, I I just want to say, I listened to this podcast, not knowing the the political affiliation of either person on the podcast. The two people are uh, Ross Douthat and um, Michelle Goldberg. And so they were, they were talking about the, basically they were talking about the 2020 election and, and how they saw it. So just want to read a few things and reflect on it. I think this is at the very beginning of the podcast. This is a choice quote from Goldberg. 
I just want to say this is this is the only time I've listened to her. This might have just been an off moment. I don't want to I don't want to paint her with a broad brush based on this podcast. But I saw enough in this podcast where I was where it it reminded me of things that I've heard from other liberals and things that I would like to change in the future and things that I see as incredibly unproductive. So this is what she says. So first she said that the way that the election results figured out had been, quote, extremely traumatic. And then she says, quote, this is a direct quote. I made sure to get it all words for word, word for word. This is not me paraphrasing. These last four years were so painful for so many people. And if it was just me who was going through this, I would kind of shut up about it and just talk about it with my therapist. But when I talk about it publicly, I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who is psychologically brutalized by the last four years. I look at pictures of my family and I feel like a black cloud descended on all of our lives in November. Every moment, every day, everything has been ruined since then. And that is just the height of catastrophizing Trump. And, and, you know, I have a friend and sometimes he and I will joke about Trump just because it's the only way that we can make light of a situation that we are very not happy about. And for the record, my friend is black. So, you know, by liberal criteria, he, he, he has every reason to be upset about it. And he's, it's not that he can take it lightly because he's a straight white male who has, you know, no skin in the game. And Goldberg is like a privileged liberal intellectual who is, I believe is white. I, I mean, I've seen pictures of her. I, I can't always accurately uh, tell if someone has some sort of racial background, but she at least could very easily pass for white. And I think when I hear that, like that's the stuff that is just, it's so off-putting to hear that really like Trump being president has ruined every moment, every day, everything. And I, I, I just, I just can't stand it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be like a, a specific kind of person to sit in your i'm sure a new york high-rise apartment uh living a lavish lifestyle i'm somewhat familiar with michelle goldberg and she i think is popular in like the new york times crowd so i'm sure she has a lot of friends to experience all that on a day-to-day basis and say that and say at the same time your whole life has been ruined by someone who sits in the white house who says things you don't like that's i mean you, you have to be a specific kind of person to say that I usually don't 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 go like class politics or whatever, but I mean, I cannot think of anything more privileged than the kind of person Michelle Goldberg seems to be. Go through some actual issues. Yeah, like I think liberals will often defend themselves by saying, "Well, I'm not offend. I'm not. Trump doesn't upset me because of me. I'm you know, and I know we've talked about this before, but like I'm offended on behalf of everybody else. And I just I want to call BS on that. Like I. I think Goldberg said it right. Like she's upset about Trump because of the way that it's affected her. And, and it's, I, I just like on behalf of people who are dealing with real problems in their day-to-day life and are not living a cushy life, uh, becoming obsessed with politics. I think sometimes that is what like the far left or just like the significant left <laughs> liberals miss is that, Actually, politics isn't doesn't impact everyone's you know every moment in the same way that maybe you you feel it affects you. 
And just keep in mind, like Biden won, <laughs> like we, we won the presidency and yet she's the one who's has this perspective. And then she continues that the way our constitution is increasingly, increasingly subverts democracy rather than enables it and how politics in this country is so irrevocably broken. I actually did some research that, like there's this widespread claim among Democrats that basically like the electoral system is so broken, especially with the Senate, right? That it's so difficult to hold the Senate. So I looked over the last three year, 30 years, um, I wanted to see, so like if, if there was this, if it was fairly okay to, to get House seats, but it was really the Senate that it was a problem, like you should see Democrats holding the House way more often than they hold the Senate. There, there has been, I believe, only one year in the past 30 years or one two-year cycle where Democrats have held the House but not the Senate. And there were actually two two-year cycles where they held the Senate and not the House. Maybe from a hypothetical perspective, it's more difficult to win the Senate. But I, I just want to like call bullshit on the, on the concept that that this like rigged system has been preventing us from holding or from having sufficient legislative control. I just want to say that's bullshit. And uh, Douthat counters and he's like, well, in the US, the minority has a lot of blocking power, but it's a 48% minority that, that, that's sort of built into our system. I forget who was talking about it. it was, this was another podcast that I listened to. And it was a liberal. And she said, we need to stop thinking about all of this in terms of the concept of total victory. Both sides become obsessed with this concept of total victory. Anything short of just like having a filibuster-proof majority. Like if, if you basically can't steamroll the other side, then like what's the point? And, and I, I just see that as such a counterproductive position. Uh, Douthat is sort of very lighthearted. It says that he's claiming, he's claiming victory over this, what do you, he called it, the highly educated center-left media who engage in a type of anti-authoritarian pornography about like what would happen if, if Biden won by a narrow margin. And this idea that Bill Barr would send in the Proud Boys. And, and then she says, like the se- she has a sense that the structures of American government have become incompatible with democracy in any meaningful sense. I feel more strongly today than I did last week that it is that as impossible as secession would be, it would be better than what we have. And I'm so fucking sick and tired of listening to Democrats who take this position. Because Douthat immediately responds. He's like, isn't that like a bit self-defeating that all the things you want to do, you just need to figure out how to win two or three more Senate seats in an election cycle. But no, you're like, let's secede from the nation. And then she starts talking about how she, she had like looked into, you know, if she could apply for German citizenship. And I, I just, I just, I, I mean, I'm done. She, you know, he asked what her election management strategy was, and she said clonopin. Lefty libs who are living this privileged life and yet act this way about politics, I'm so fed up. I'm so fed up with it. And, and, I, think, and I think average working people, when they interact with this, like, this is what turns people off. This is why they're like, I don't like the Republicans, but I fucking hate you more. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that like to me, it just it just speaks of just this massive historical ignorance. Like if if you are living this lavish lifestyle with all your friends in New York City making a lot of money, and you think the president has ruined everything in your life, 
just because he said some things you don't like, a lot of things you don't like, then you are one of the most privileged people that has ever lived in all of history. You have one of the best lives that any person has ever had, ever. So it's just, so first, it's just absolutely historically ignorant to the way humans have lived for thousands of years. It's just, you, we don't know, we don't realize how good we have it in this country. And specifically our, our actual system of government. We created a system where we've balanced the necessary democracy. You know, we do have majority rule, but we don't allow the majority to steamroll the minority, which has been the struggle for democratic states for thousands of years since like Athens. So the fact that we struck that balance is so is like a miracle. And the fact that, well, let's just throw it out because I can't get my policy goals done. And and, and that's where authoritarian tendencies come out of because you're like oh yeah i'll just get that guy or that woman or whoever i'll put them in and they'll do all the stuff that i want like great problem solved yeah yeah it's crazy it's crazy to see you know the same people who who have criticized trump for not caring about you know checks and balances or whatever when it comes to the supreme court like you know stacking the supreme court um not packing the supreme court stacking the supreme court you know that the supreme court is not a you know, a viable check on the presidency at that point. Well, I'm like, first, you haven't, just because Trump has nominated these people doesn't mean that they will always rule in favor of Trump. And I would say, see all of the election lawsuits, you know, that, that Trump has filed that, that have been shot down by Trump federal judges. But anyway, those same people will say that I want to get rid of the filibuster. I want to get rid of all of these checks on popular rule. So I just want to get, I want to plow through as fast as I can, all of my like extreme, extreme, extreme in the normative sense, like just the fact of the matter is they are extreme, even though they might not see them as extreme, extreme policy goals through. I, I don't know how that person can say someone else is authoritarian. That is the most authoritarian viewpoint you know, and I think ultimately, I think ultimately it's utopianism. It's, it's, it's thinking that we can make the perfect world, that there are these problems in the world and we can solve them if we just have the right people in charge. And I think that that's the core, that's the core of it, I think. And people need to drop that. I have this friend and, and he said he, he like riled people because he, I forget where he went. Uh, he, he went to a super liberal college and he would tell people he was a conservative and that would make people really get all wild. But he would, he would tell people that he was a conservative. But his definition was, I don't think my ancestors were idiots. Yes, that, that's good. That's good. Like, I think that they were just as smart as me. And they had reasons for doing the things that they did. Which is not to say that, like, he takes traditional knowledge as sacrosanct and something you can't question. But maybe think through, why did they do X? Or why did they do Y? Because genuinely, like, if you read historical writing in the sense of like, if you read writing from people who lived 100 or 200 years ago, you can tell that they were grappling with a lot of the same issues that you're grappling with and with just as much intellect as you. And so the fact that you think that they were just naive and deluded yeah. and you are not is it, it, such a farce. 
Yeah, it's a level of arrogance that is like un, un, yeah. just unparalleled to think that you are the only truly intelligent and moral person. You know, that's that's lived throughout the course of history. That's the that's a democratic party platform. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I think on the right, Trump is not going to fight the eventual outcome. One once he's done with his court cases, he's going to leave. And I think that yeah. after that happens, once people cool down, I think that the Republican Party is going to be okay, and they're going to reform around mostly. I think what they passionate con- conservatism. I hate that term, by the way, but it's um, <laughs> it's, it's coming back. But if you haven't listened to our compassion con- conservatism uh, episode, yeah, <laughs> as opposed to the non-compassionate, heartless conservatism, exactly. We're compassionate. Don't go yeah. for the heartless con- conservatism. Go yeah. for the compassionate one. Yeah. I hope the Republicans put put the populism behind them, but you know we'll see. I, there there's some troubling Republicans that have gotten their way into Congress, um, including one overt QAnon supporter. Um, Gotta love yeah, it. But hopefully, Tea Party Part Two. Yeah, I think I think most most Republicans and most Republican voters, I think, are in line with the. Uh, small government, non-populist conservatism. I, I, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that, but I would say, I will say that I, I, there are strains of populism that I see as, I can see like a, a conservative economic populism as far less problematic than the, some of the strains that we're seeing now. I think populism has become such a dirty word, but I, I, I just want to point out that there are a variety of different strains of populism and that they shouldn't all be treated as synonymous. Yeah, true, true. I mean, I I don't, I tend, I'm not a populist. I don't really like, you know, that people, that kind of strategy, like make the government work for the people as opposed to not the people. It's just, I, I don't really like it. It reminds me of mob rule type, you know, type, type scenarios. I think anytime in history where, We've we said we're going to change the system so it, you know, works for the people. I don't think has ended up working very well. As opposed to saying we want general rules to apply to everyone, if that makes sense. But yeah, but I mean, I'm I, sure people can disagree you with me on that. Narrowly define the people. I think you can get into trouble. Yes. Yeah. True. All right. Yeah, I think I yeah. think <laughs> I think at this point our listeners are probably entirely exhausted. Yes. Uh, if but, they've stuck through. If they've stuck through, if you have, congratulations. It's actually a medal that is going to be coming in the mail tomorrow. So well done. Well done. When the rhythm starts.